You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Fantasy Footballers DFS and Betting Podcast with your hosts, Kyle Borgannoni and Matthew Betts. Well, hey there. It's July 14th here on the Fantasy Footballers DFS and Betting Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Kyle Borgannoni, and I am joined by Matthew. Go outside and touch some grass bets. I have been, man. It's been a week. I've been outside a ton. I played some golf earlier this week, which was great. Uh, I got a great session today. Kyle lined up this afternoon and be mowing the lawn, uh, which is what our listeners do when they listen to this show. So maybe you're also mowing the lawn as you listen. But I have bad news, my friend. The season to be able to go outside and touch grass is coming to a close very soon because training camps are like two weeks away. I feel like as soon as August 1st gets here, man, it's go time for us. So it is going to be a busy you know, month and a half here coming up, but I'm excited to enjoy a little bit, I think, of a reprieve in the next like two weeks before the madness really begins. I might you know, cut the lawn later today. It's either today or tomorrow, so I'm going to join you. Dude, we should do it at the same time. We could do it at the same time. It would be way too self-absorbed if we listened to this podcast <laughs> at the same time to hear ourselves. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a good time for, for me. It's closer to my birthday. You know, I, I like July a lot. And I want to open up with a little story for us, Betts, because uh, my my ego, my hubris was uh, stroked yesterday where, <laughs> you know, like a good husband, I said, hey, honey, I want to uh, take you out to dinner. And since we moved back here to Georgia, there's a restaurant that we used to go to on date nights. It's like 15 minutes away. It's a local spot. We like it. And, you know, haven't been there for a while. Go into the restaurant, man. And the hostess, okay, this isn't the waitress, it's the hostess. First thing, you know, we tell her table for two. She goes, oh my gosh, you look just like Liam Hemsworth. And I just, <laughs> I, I didn't know. I wish to, everyone could see Kyle's face right now. He looks, I, I haven't seen him this happy in a very long time. <laughs> I didn't know whether to laugh. My wife goes, now, who is that again? Like, you know, she doesn't know the difference between Chris Hemsworth, Liam Hemsworth, and so I, I got to pull up a picture, and she just started laughing a little bit. Now, granted, people, <laughs> I wasn't wearing my glasses. So maybe, just maybe, underneath these glasses all along, I've been a Hemsworth. You know? It's, and what's funny about that, you know, is if it, if it was your, you know, your wait- waitress, you would think maybe she was just trying to, to, you know, play a little bit. Maybe say, hey, I'm going to be really nice to this guy. He'll, maybe he'll give me a better tip. But the hostess has zero financial incentive to actually do that. So she must have really meant it. And I, I think you got, you got to hold that one over your wife for a while now and just let her know, hey, remember that one time we were at dinner 
and uh and that was my comp so i like that for you man that's that's peaking right there in your mid-30s. I know. I felt really good about it. Uh, she quickly realized, she's like, you know what? That cannot make me Miley Cyrus. So she didn't <laughs> want to go there. But yeah, Hemsworth. You know, I've, I've maybe I should add that to my profile. Like, technically, I'm a Hemsworth brother. And, you know, the fourth one, the one that didn't really make it in the movies. But, you know, it was, it was a good little little date. I'll say that. And, a, and I felt pretty good about it. But I, I needed to throw it out to you. I had someone that was super blunt. They're like, dude. Nowhere even close, but you know, the, the, I I tried. Just ignore that. That doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 I don't need to do that at all. Uh, so we're glad you're with us. We're having a little contest right now. If you want to leave a review on Apple, uh, five-star review, please. The four-star reviews are the worst because they're like, hey, I love your podcast, but I can't give you five. It's like, if you love it, give us five stars, and we're going to pick one of those reviews to give a Ballers t-shirt from shopballers.com. And, you know, just tell us what you like about the podcast. Tell us, you know, if you've been with us for a while, maybe an inside joke or two that you really enjoy. So, yeah, you can do that at Apple uh, Apple Reviews. You can also, obviously, on Spotify, leave a review. You can do all of that. And we're going to debut a new segment, but it's a segment that you and I have teased for a long time. You know how much I like a tease bets. It's, uh, it's, I do. It's the podcaster's choice it's part of my arsenal my tool belt as a podcaster is a tease and we've been talking about this for a long time in season we'll be using the segment so i'll just debut it right now moving the lines we joke sometimes that we move the lines and we're not gonna lie bets and i don't have really the bankroll to be able to say hey we're throwing you know a couple of g's at this to be able to say we're moving the lines uh but in the betting markets, we tend to hopefully see them move in the right direction. So when you and I get to share about our prop bets and just some of the other wagers that we like in season, we'll get to use this segment on Tuesday's show and then again on Friday's show and we get to share some of those. But I wanted us to highlight a couple of markets that we were early on in March and April and where things have moved, hopefully for people that tailed with us, you can get those alerts in our Discord channel. So whenever you know bets put up a prop bet uh, last week, our whole channel got alerted and they got to get in before the lines move. That's that's the goal. So this isn't a chance just for us to pat ourselves on the back, but more to say, hey, you can get in with us, sweat it out with us. It's pretty fun. And like I said last year, we got to give some of those bets and we're pretty profitable, including that Justin Jefferson one. Uh, so bets. Give us one that's been moving in the right direction. Yes, sir. And real quick before we speak to the lines being moved, that maybe you and I specifically aren't, the Foot Clan is, okay, man? The Discord channel is popping with uh, best ball talk, with props, DFS in season. So when you are in there, there's a pin message at the top. Go to that. It has instructions on how to get the alerts. If you just join the Discord, you won't actually get the alerts. You have to actually sign up for it to make sure that you're part of that crew that gets the notification because we don't want to just spam people that don't want it. But if you want it, get up in there. It's going to be awesome. I'm excited for this season, man. I think our uh, our profit and you know potential of kind of what we could do is going to be pretty good. Last year, we showed that, and I think we've had a pretty good off season so far. Specifically, one that we gave out last week, we talked about the Cortland Sutton under five and a half touchdowns. We got it at minus 125 on MGM. It's now moved across the industry to four and a half on a bunch of different books, even with juice to minus 150. So I feel really good about that one, just getting ahead of that movement. And we talked about Cortland Sutton a lot with Jason this week on the Dynasty 
podcast, which was a great discussion. And let's just say we're not optimistic at this point in time on uh, on Mr. Sutton. The other one that we talked about on this show and also gave out in Discord was Lamar Jackson to lead the NFL in passing touchdowns. We gave it out at 75 uh, to 1. It has now moved to 45 to 1, which is a massive movement in that in that odds market. And, you know, if you've listened to us all offseason, not surprising that we're pretty bullish on Lamar and the passing offense in Baltimore. And that price at the time was just egregious. So I don't know if I'd take it now. I think it's probably more appropriately priced. But when we gave it out, he was down there with guys like uh, Brock Purdy, Jimmy G, CJ Stroud, things like that. So it was just one of those obvious, uh, hey, let's put a, a few bucks on this. Let's forget we ever did it. And at the end of the year, if it doesn't hit, no big deal. But we got it at a really good price. So I'm pretty excited about that one. I'm pretty sure with the Ravens, there's about 10 outs for us this year. It's like, oh, well, we'll but we have uh, Mark Andrews, you know, like everywhere in best ball. Like he's our, you know, your highest exposure tight end. He's top three for me. I have so much Isaiah likely that I'm drowning in it. Uh, and we'll talk about the Baltimore receivers. Well, that's not good. Oh, I, I, I <laughs> literally it's you versus me because if Mark Andrews goes down, you're going to have a great season and I'm going to be dead. No, that's <laughs> but, no, but you have so much Isaiah likely. No, that's not how it works. It, I told you in best ball, it is, I have ton of Mark Andrews top three, of my exposures and the number okay, four, in my exposures is likely in lineups that I don't have Andrews. So if Andrews fails, so I, I'm hedging, I'm just totally hedging here with Ravens tight ends, but uh, there's lots of different ways. I love that one because we've seen Lamar do it before. That, and that was kind of the argument. It's like he's had an outlier touchdown season, and we've talked about the pass rate to the point where I feel like Todd Monken is a part of this podcast. We've literally mentioned him almost every single uh, podcast. I will give you two that have moved in the right direction, and Betts had to correct me because I I forgot what we got this at. CeeDee Lamb, Offensive Player of the Year, is now at 35-1. to 1. I had forgotten that we had it at 60-1. to 1. And this is just a bet on... The Dallas offense not being as run heavy as we thought. They've also made some moves in the last couple of weeks to hire more analytic driven people. And we talked a lot about how the team won last year, how Dak Prescott and just he was third in the league in terms of pass attempts while having the lead. And you saw CeeDee Lamb have an outlier awesome season. He was wide receiver six. It's not crazy to think that CeeDee Lamb and the Dallas offense can just repeat and I think we're going to see them in more negative game scripts than we saw last year. So CeeDee Lamb is at 35 to 1. Hopefully you got to ride with us. It's a fun long shot bet. And then one that I still feel confident in. It's moved in the right direction. It took a while. The Carolina Panthers under seven and a half wins. We got it at plus 115. It's at plus 100 now and minus 102 on FanDuel. So I think this is still a really good bet if you want to make it. We looked at every single rookie quarterback that started week one and what their teams did. None of them surpassed their win total and only two of them pushed over the last decade. So I think it's a really good bet for an under. Last year, they had the, according to Warren Sharp, the highest fumble luck over expectation rate. So that year to year is not something that's super sticky. It's something that's like, okay, you got super fortunate. You know, like two years ago, Kyler Murray led the league in just total fumbles but he didn't lose any of them. So just year to year, it's just not a sticky stat. Their O-line, I think, is another thing that people are also banking on. It's like, okay, they have a pretty good O-line. That's why I like Miles Sanders. They also were super fortunate with health last year. So we're not banking on injuries, but just based on variance, you can also see a starter or two miss some time. And in the first six weeks, Beck, they are a dog in every single game, okay, leading up to the week seven bye. So it's not looking good out the gate, 
And usually what that happens with a young team is they kind of turn over their roster mid-season or end of season and just start cleaning house or at least giving lots of other people chances. So I don't know. I, I feel like that win total should be at six and a half. So do you still feel good about that one under seven and a half? Yeah, I do. I mean, a lot of the reasons you mentioned already and um, looking at some of the alt markets, which those are available across different books, you can change the line. Like if you'd rather take it at, you know, five and a half, it's different odds. If you'd rather take it at nine and a half, it's different odds. And I think using those markets as a way to kind of guide you into maybe saying how likely does Vegas think this is to hit at nine and a half, the under is minus 475. So it's a very thin margin to go over, like almost Un, almost impossible is basically what the, what the odds are telling us that they're going to win 10 games. So the odds of them getting to eight or nine is extremely thin. So I still love the under. I think it's the right play for the reasons that you mentioned and for what we've talked about already on the show this off season. So yeah, I mean, if that line still exists, I think you said what minus uh, 102 or, or uh, even money on DraftKings. I think that is still a very much a play if you missed out early on. So if you want to get all of our props, you can get those in the DFS Pass, which is part of the Ultimate Draft Kit Plus. So go to ultimatedraftkit.com, and you can ride with us this season. But we're going to talk some more best ball this week. Best Ball Bonanza. Bets and I talked earlier this week, and we said, what would be the most valuable thing to give our listeners and as a thought process kind of work together. So Betts and I haven't really revealed to each other how we feel about certain uncertain situations in best ball. One of the main topics we'll talk about is ambiguous backfields. And there's a lot of good research out there. Uh, JJ Zacharyson has done a great study for managed leagues, but for best ball, I think ambiguous backfields is really hard because you're taking a stab at, you know, one of these backfields that probably have two or three options and you don't, you can't do anything about it, right? You can't pivot if there's an injury. It's just, this is who I took. And so Betts and I are going to look at a couple of different backfields and say, what are the pros? What are the cons? What is the opportunity cost of taking this player? And then certain stances we've taken on these running backs. I just also want to say it's totally okay to not have a stance at all. You know, like when you look at a backfield like Miami, it's like, okay, is it Jeff Wilson? Is it Raheem Mostert? Is it Devon A-Chain? It's totally okay in your exposures to have a stance where, I don't know, I just kind of took whichever one was there. And I thought, I think their ADPs are fine. Or you could have a stance where you simply are saying like, I'm just not really taking this backfield. I'm not interested at all. So there doesn't always have to be a right answer. There also doesn't have to be a best answer. Some backfields are just, worthless for fantasy and in best ball you're actually better of not taking a stance so do you feel like people when they see you know situations feel like they have to just make a hard line stance and just say like okay Devon A chains the guy and it's almost like they're back themselves into a corner every single time I think you can get in trouble doing that but there are scenarios where if you do have a good read on the situation or you feel very confident about it you know there's data to back it up there's reports, you know, in OTAs, minicamp, training camp, the, the drumbeat is consistent. If you feel confident in that stuff, I think it's okay to take a stand. Last year, I had a massive stand on Ramondre Stevenson over Damian Harris. Partly that worked out because of Damian Harris's injury, but still, I think the process to get there was kind of the right play. So there are situations where I think it's okay to have a very, very firm stance. And there is a backfield today we'll talk about where I do feel that way. There's 
also, like you said, situations where it's okay to say, look, I'm, I'm going to make up this number. I'm going to draft 100 teams this, this summer, and I want equal exposure to all three of these guys because I can see the path for all three. That's okay, too. Um, and so you just need to be kind of understanding of how hard of a stance you want to make on these backfields. And like you said, sometimes there isn't going to be someone, right? Like it might not matter if it was Raheem uh, Moster or or Jeff Wilson if Dalvin Cook signs there tomorrow, right? So it's okay to, I think, pick and choose your spots and not just be like, well, you know, I'll let ADP dictate this and I'll just like be hands off and, and have a, a passive approach. I think you need to be thoughtful about these backfields and how they fit into not only your player takes and your situations as far as uh, how you view the team, but also your roster construction um, and kind of how you typically are building. So yeah, long-winded way of saying I think targeting these backfields is important, but being mindful about it is even more important. Last year, just to give you some data, I looked at backfields with multiple running backs, but their first running back wasn't picked until pick 80. Okay, so last year we had eight of those backfields. It was Miami, New England, so Betts highlighted Ramondre Stevenson. Philadelphia, technically Miles Sanders would, would have been in this category, and I, I think that was aided for not scoring a touchdown the year before. Buffalo, Atlanta, Seattle, Houston, although Damian Pierce got steamed up and he might have probably been out of this category by the end of the year. And Kansas City was also a backfield where it was CEH, Ronald Jones, and then Isaiah Pacheco, you remember, was steamed up from being a 18th round pick to 17th to 15th to 14th. Like he just slowly moved up the board. So looking at those backfields last year, I looked at who had a advanced rate over 20%, which is what we and I, we talked about in the league winners podcast. Like, okay, these are the players that we're looking for. So Miles Sanders was awesome. 32% Ramondre, 25% Damian Pierce, Kenneth Walker. And then you go a little further down. You had Jamal Williams, who was awesome although their their backfield was a little bit clearer. And what I found, though, was the year before, in 2021, we had guys like James Conner and Leonard Fournette who were being drafted as the RB2 for those teams because going ahead of them was Chase Edmonds and Ronald Jones, which is laughable to think about now because those guys are barely holding a roster spot. But ambiguous backfield you can go a lot of different ways with it. You can look at it as who's the first guy drafted, who's the second guy drafted, and the first guy you should need to take because you know the the wisdom of the crowd says that it's going to be right more than more than not. I think the better stance is to ask yourself the question: Is who has three down upside? And I think that was the case last year for you to say like you didn't think Damian Harris was bad. He just was a candidate for major touchdown regression, and he's never really shown three down skills so it was more of to say hey Ramondre has some great metrics he does have a three down skill set and you saw that with 88 targets so is that kind of a good starting point for this conversation of like if you want to find someone that's going to knock it out of the park they either have to have a crazy touchdown season and somebody gets hurt or they need to have a three down skill set yeah I think like you talked about too I know there's a lot of debate about you know, does talent matter at the running back position? And, you know, do running backs matter at all? <laughs> right. Is the kind of the, the discussion in the NFL these days. Um, but I think it matters to some degree. Right. And like, that's kind of why I was on Ramondre is he had that profile. His efficiency was great. He was awesome in the receiving game, you know, so you can kind of hit on those things. And part of what I like to do is in these ambiguous backfields is try to find who is going ahead of some of these later round targets that are in these ambiguous backfields and say, you know, 
can that player hold on to the job? Like, I feel super confident that uh, Isaiah Pacheco is entering week one as a starter. No question about that. And I don't think anyone has any questions. But, like, is he a special talent? Is there a financial commitment from the team? How did he perform when he got the opportunities, you know, on the goal line? Stuff like that. And if there are holes that you can poke in certain players that the field just assumes is the right pick, that's when I want to be zigging in terms of uh, going a different direction for those takes and for those players. I also think, too, think about where these guys go. Like, the old RB dead zone kind of isn't a thing anymore, especially on underdogs ADP landscape because wide receivers are going so high, quarterbacks are going so high. But there does seem to be a pocket, right, where, like, once you get to pick, I don't know, 70, 75, 80, somewhere in that range, where you get to the DeAndre Swift, Rashad White, uh, James Conner types, like there are guys that kind of go there and then in the next bucket into like picks, you know, 100, 120, that that's where these ambiguous backfields start to develop. And the reason they're there is because no one knows what to do with them. But in those buckets, that's where we tend to see these hit rates start to come down a little bit for the guys that are selected there. So I would think about those archetypes and kind of think about that when you're drafting as well, um, as far as, you know, can you get something better later? And what are you sacrificing to take a team's RB1? Like, if you take, um, you know, John Deere Swift, for example, or something like that, like you're not going to get potentially someone like a Gabe Davis or George Pickens because of their ADP. So just think about that too when you're thinking about what you're sacrificing with these ambiguous RB1 selections uh, that we'll talk about today. Yeah, and we mentioned this before, but for me, my rule is I, I, I have to have four wide receivers before pick 100. I kind of like my builds even better if I have five of them. So yeah, you're you're passing up players in that range of you know picks seventy to a hundred that I think have upside in in a format where you're starting three wide receivers. I just like them even more. Today we're going to talk about Miami, New Orleans, Philadelphia, Chicago as the main ambiguous backfields, and then Betts and I will hit a couple other uncertain situations towards the end. Uh, but just to give you a point, sometimes the answer to an ambiguous backfield is no one. Or there's running backs that are only valuable parts of the season. So last year, was it Devin Singletary or James Cook? Well, it's like no one really. Like no one was like a difference maker in best ball. There are some good efficiency numbers for James Cook. But since Josh Allen has been the quarterback of this team since 2018, they rank fourth in points per game like their running backs do in the, or like bottom four. And then in terms of red zone touches... It's super small because you're getting a guy in Josh Allen who is their main goal line back. So the val- the role isn't that valuable. And, you know, I almost thought about adding them in there today, but James Cook's kind of a little bit higher in our ranks. But, like, that's another situation where it's like, is it Damian Harris? Is it James Cook? Like, it could be just n- nobody and you don't really need them at all. Last year... Dude, no love for Latavius? Come on. Latavius is going to be the most annoying <laughs> player possible this year because... I'm not lucky. We're not going to talk about that, but there actually was a report that apparently Latavius and Damian Harris are competing for that kind of early down role or that, that goal line role. Um, I, I don't know, man. Latavius Murray is about to be what, like 34 years old. So I don't know if I'd buy into that, but I guess that's that's one more we could monitor when we get to training camp is the Latavius versus Damian Harris role and whether or not it even matters, like you said, because uh, just to clear it up, it was kind of confusing the way you put it. You said fourth. I meant fourth. Meaning like fourth, fourth worst. Yes. Right. In terms of running back production for fantasy. So yeah, it, it might truthfully not even matter. Yeah. Last year, the Rams ranked dead last in terms of fantasy points per game at the running back position. 
And if you search for that for most of the year, like in redraft leagues, like you had nothing until Cam Akers delivered, you know, there's probably some really weird roster constructions that if you somehow made it through and Cam Akers was on your roster because he was probably a terrible pick last year. And then all of a sudden, like he's a hammer at the very end in best ball. So you had to get super lucky to advance with Cam Akers last year. But my point is saying there are some backfields that you could try to figure out all day. And at the end of the day, it just might not be worth that much. Let's start with Miami because I was looking at their efficiency numbers as a team last year and the way they were running the ball because overall, like you look at the team's metrics and you look at what was so good, it was, you know, play action. It was deep passes. They were 31st in rush attempts. So there was a lot of stuff that you just said there wasn't enough volume there, but on a per touch basis, they were like 15th in the league. So right there in the middle, but like pretty good on a yards per touch basis and their players had some big games. In fact, Mostert and Wilson ended up having above 20% advance rate for best ball. This year, we have an interesting situation because Devon A. Chain, the rookie they took in the third round, his ADP is the highest at 118. And then you have Mostert and Wilson going way later. It's it's hard because A. Chain, everything about him and his size, we talked about this a ton on the Dynasty podcast, says he'll never be more than like 10 to 12 touches a game ever 10 is probably past 10 is probably pushing it and then you look at how they've handled this backfield last year you never knew in managed leagues who was going to be the guy like in DFS it was so frustrating if you thought it was going to be a Jeff Wilson week or a Mostert week so how are you handling this based on ADP and draft costs and have you taken a stance this year bets yeah I think this is one that's potentially has the situation where it turns into it might not matter that's kind of how I feel currently with the landscape. The other thing we didn't even you know mention is this has one of been been one of the most commonly mentioned spots for a possible Dalvin uh, signing. And if that happens, I think there's a significant chance that we see Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson become kind of irrelevant, right? Or or only usable in certain weeks where there's injuries to guys in front of them. So. I am I, I'm mostly hands off on Raheem and Jeff Wilson currently until the Dalvin Cook situation is settled because if he goes there, I mean he'll be used he'll be used a little in the passing game, but it'll certainly be I think the odds on favorite to be the RB one in terms of carries for the team. And then I think I would see Devon Achain kind of working in as that change of pace guy. So to me, there wouldn't be much available for Raheem and and Jeff Wilson. So I've kind of been hands off on those guys as it stands. Um, and then in terms of kind of archetype and how we see these guys, like, you know, like you said, Devon Achain, 5'8", 188, that is not a goal line back. That is not a guy who can come in and carry, you know, 20 times in the NFL, most likely. So he's a guy that I've been kind of thinking about, how does he hit for fantasy? How does he hit for best ball? And it's probably he earns the passing down role. Maybe he gets lucky with some usage around the goal line, that sort of thing as a receiver. So I actually think he's a better archetype if you're drafting across multiple sites for someone like DraftKings. Like his, is he going to be the guy where it's like touchdowns matter so much? Like, you know, Dave Montgomery, we've talked about, um, you know, those archetypes on underdog, probably not. So I actually don't have a lot of exposure to any of these guys on underdog currently, but I do have some Devon A chain on DraftKings for the reasons that I mentioned. But I think overall, I'm kind of hands off. And, and also, one thing too to think back last year, remember we chased the, the, not to, not to make a, a, dad, a bad dad joke here, but we chased Chase Edmonds all off season, uh, thinking he was gonna be <laughs> he was gonna be important, and you kind of had to have him, and you know whatever. Like 
in week one, Chase Edmonds got a ton of work as far as snap share and usage. So I, I don't know if that's signal or what, but maybe that's what Mike McDaniel prefers. Maybe that's what he wants is kind of that smaller back that can be that explosive kind of change the pace guy. Maybe Chase Edmonds just couldn't do it. I, I don't know. That's just a theory I have. So all in all, I'm kind of out on 31-year-old Raheem Mostert. I'm kind of fine with Jeff Wilson where he goes if you need a guy, but I'm not doing it until after Dalvin Cook signs somewhere. And then on DraftKings, I'm okay with Devon A. Chain as part of like, you know, zero or hero RB builds. So I've really slowed in just taking any of these guys since, you know, Dalvin's been connected to them over the last three weeks. Early on, Jeff Wilson was one of my stronger stances. One, because he's free, like 186th overall. I'm not asking Jeff Wilson to do anything other than maybe give me two spike weeks. Like, give me two usable weeks. That's all you need for an RB5 or RB6. So the the cost is really low, and he's still top five in my exposures, but I haven't been drafting him with teams recently just because of the news. I've kind of had to slow up, and he's been dropping a little bit. But Mike is super bullish on Jeff Wilson. Like, he has Jeff Wilson in his ranks as, like, RB28, and that's not where he goes. Like, that's for redraft leagues. But, like, he... You know, at RB, where's he at? RB58 on underdog. I'm totally fine with that price. And I think he profiles as the biggest back of this group that if he is the dude, that's where I'm placing my chips. I'm also at the point where it's like, I could totally be wrong on this. And it's not going to cost me as much as Devon A-Chain, where it's like, I, I can't pay that price for him. So I have like 3% A-Chain, most are 9%, which is basically means I'll draft him if he's past ADP. But I don't have any Dalvin Cook, and that's kind of my where I want to land here is what has been your stance on Cook? And I haven't been like saying, oh, well, I, he's definitely going to be a Dolphin. I mean, he probably could, but I just ha- I've just stayed away, and I'm wondering if I'm going to pay for that of just staying away from Cook. So have you had any stances on him? Yeah, I mean, I haven't taken hardly any Dalvin Cook this year, and this is one of those spots where like, again, it's okay to take stands. And this is a stand that I'll be taking this year is I want to be out on Dalvin cook. You know, we have him uh, in our article that we put out on the site, the best ball rankings running backs to take a stance on. I did that whole series. He's in there as a guy that we've been fading and we have him right now ranked as our RB 34. He goes off the board at RB 25. I just can't pay that price for a guy who clearly is kind of on the decline and with running backs, right? It's not a slow decline usually it's like okay we see the warning signs and then the cliff comes and it comes kind of fast I'm not saying it's going to be absolutely horrible for Dalvin Cook but I don't think Dalvin Cook is the same player he was two years ago or even maybe last year and you look at the numbers coming off a career low in carries per game he earned just 3.3 targets per game despite running the third most routes at the position like Minnesota threw a ton and he wasn't earning targets the way he normally does he also had a career low in yards per route run so when you look at the efficiency numbers how he was used, it is definitely changing. And no matter where he goes, as far as the most likely scenarios, we've heard a lot about the Jets. We've heard a lot about the Dolphins. We've heard a lot about uh, potentially like a sneaky New England signing. If he goes to any of those three spots, Ramondre is there. We just talked about all the running backs that are there in Miami. And Brees Hall is very, very good when he gets healthy. So to me, he seems like a guy that can only, I don't want to say only hurt, but like I don't think he can bury me this year is, is the stance I'm taking. And famous last words, because whenever I say that on a podcast, <laughs> I get toast. I get buried. So I think um, I'm out on Dalvin. I've taken him like once or twice when he's like 20 spots after ADP, which never happens. 
And I think this summer, as we get more casuals joining us to draft, they see the name, Dalvin Cook, he's been great. Let's draft him. So I'm, I'm mostly out. Yeah, I, I love the point you made. Like, is Dalvin Cook going to beat me this year? And that's kind of the bet you're making. Is like, is he going to be a difference-making player? Right now, he's going at 89th overall, RB28. If he signs somewhere, guaranteed he will rise. And it's way easier for a player to rise in best ball than to fall. So right now, in the last couple of weeks, is the only time... Personally, I think it was would be good process to make a stance and say, hey, I'm going to take Dalvin Cook while nobody knows where he's going to go. You know, like, and, and he drops to, in some drafts, like 100 overall. Totally fine with that if you want to make that stance. But moving forward, he's only going to be more expensive. And so in these ambiguous backfields, I'm trying to be on the right end, especially if you're playing in a tournament like Best Ball Mania. I want to be on the right end of a player and getting them cheaper rather than playing against people that got him 105th overall or whatever. So... That's my stance. Jeff Jeff Wilson's kind of the only one here that I've been kind of a little bit more bullish on, and I could be wrong, uh, but RB5, RB6, I'm willing to do that. Let's take a quick break, and we'll talk about the New Orleans backfield. Spring is here, and you can now get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get a chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana? That's a no. But a banana? That's a yes. A nice tan? Sorry. Nope. But a box fan? Happily, yes. A day of sunshine? No. A box of fine wines? Yes. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're back. We're talking about the Saints. The Saints backfield has been one that you could have taken three different stances on this offseason. And I think you could be right on either one of those. Like, I'm, I'm actually one of those where I'm totally fine on e- any of these guys. Alvin Kamara, Jamal Williams, the rookie, Kendry Miller. And it's going in that order of ADP. And we're only going to see Kamara rise based on his uh, recent legal situation. So right now he's at 99th. Uh, so he's risen just a couple of picks the last couple of days. What have you done this off season so far with this backfield? And are you overweight any of them? Let's, before I get into that, let me just ask you about the Alvin Kamara stuff, because I, I don't know if you've seen this, you mentioned his ADPs up a couple of spots. I assume that's only going to keep going. I, we, and we don't know if we should preface that right now, this could drop you know, after this actually gets released, after we're done recording or whatever, as of this recording, we don't know specifically how many games or if Alvin Kamara will miss any games. We just have the news that basically he pled no contest and that he has to do community service and I think pay the medical bills for the victims of of what he was involved in. But there's no actual suspension. But everyone is viewing the news that came out as a very positive thing for Alvin Kamara. To me, that doesn't, I'm not viewing anything differently currently. Like I still feel pretty strongly he's going to get some sort of league suspension. I don't know if it's two games. I don't know if it's four games, six, whatever. I don't know. But I don't think I view it as a positive personally. Um, And I feel like the market has kind of 
assume that that's the case. Have have you gotten the same sense of that? Oh yeah, for sure. Like I, I in drafts that I'm in, I'm seeing him go earlier where he'd hang around. There'd be drafts where it's like 115 and people are like I don't want to touch this guy. But yeah, I think right now we will take drafting community in general. We'll take any sort sliver of news, whether that's hype, puff piece or whatever and say, "Okay, this is what I need to make a stance on." And I get that. Like, you know, you want to be ahead of where other people were drafting him, but I agree with you. It's so far, it's positive in the sense that it's not as bad as maybe what people could have thought, but we actually don't have any concrete information. Okay, cool. Yeah, I just want to make sure I was on the same page in regards to that. But as far as how I'm handling this backfield, before I get into the specifics of each three, a lot of people don't mention the fact that Taysom Hill is is still a thing here, right? And I want to preface that and say like, that isn't a good thing for especially a running back committee that potentially could be forming. So I am pretty lukewarm on the New Orleans running backs, especially when you consider where they're at in their career. So for Alvin Kamara, right, he enters his age 28 season. We just talked about the efficiency. You know, it's it's there. The warning signs are there for Dalvin Cook. The warning signs are absolutely there for Alvin Kamara, who, do not get me wrong, was absolutely elite for fantasy a couple of years ago, but things are changing, right? His yards per carry just two years ago was 5.0. It dropped to 3.7, then 4. Yards after contact per attempt was 2.97 to 2.8 to 2.72. Yards per target has dropped three straight years, 7.1 to 6.6 to 6.4. Same thing with his yards per route run. So it's the warning signs are there. Don't get me wrong. The other thing, though, that I get stuck on is our boy Marvin Elquin, who's a great writer for us, does his positive touchdown regression candidates every year. Alvin Kamara is number one on his list. So I am stuck where I'm like, okay, this is a player who clearly is on the decline, but he is due for a ton of positive regression. And Jamal Williams is certainly not scoring 17 rushing scores again. So I kind of feel like I'm okay with Alvin Kamara right now, currently, as a guy that maybe you take is, you know, a zero RB guy or like hero RB where he goes like right around pick 95 to 100 or if he falls, like I'm okay with it. I don't have a strong stance either way, but I certainly want to take a strong stance against Alvin Kamara if he starts to become a seventh round pick, a sixth round pick, like as the summer goes on and we get news. If he gets steamed up, I definitely want to be out on Alvin Kamara. Yeah, I've, I'm at 6% right now in my exposure, which basically means like I'm going to be way below where a lot of people are. Uh, Jamal Williams is fine if he falls, but once again, it's like you really... The, the sentiment on Jamal Williams early on was, oh, well, he'll be valuable at the beginning of the season. He'll get some, you know, goal line looks. And I just, it's hard for me to fully say that. This team as a whole is due for a lot of touchdowns. The passing passing game as well last year was pretty rough. Chris Olave is a player I'm overweight on again this year. So that's kind of where I've had my most exposure with the Saints. And then Kendry Miller fits the profile of a running back that you like to bet on if he falls. You know, he's 137th in ADP, but like if he gets to 140 something, 150, I love him because you bet on young running backs in systems that historically have produced, and this team is due for a lot of touchdown regression, but he's also super young. Like the only running backs that fit the mold of being a day one or day two pick this year that are 21 years old and are in a situation it's Bijan, Jameer Gibbs. And Kendry Miller and Izzy Abanaconda, which he's super late. So it's like, I'm going to bet on those young dudes to have to break through at some point. If there's an injury to Kamara or Williams, I think Miller definitely can move forward. He has dealt with some stuff in training camp where he hasn't showed up um, to a lot of stuff. So I don't really know all the situation with that, but like he's the type of player that I'll bet on. 
So at like 15%, it's not a major stance, but it's definitely a player that I have exposure to. Yeah, that's a pretty strong stance, I'd say. And I kind of agree with you. Like, that's the archetype I want to bet on in terms of that. To speak to his uh, situation from the injury, he had the uh, an MCL tear during one of his final college games. So he's been missing basically the entire offseason program so far. So he's a guy that I'm watching very closely in training camp to see, like, how how healthy is he? And, you know, I think he's a different pick in these tournaments versus in a typical 12-man league or something in a tournament where so much of the money is in the back half of the year. Like, it doesn't matter as much to me if he gets off to a slow start. Like you said, if he emerges down the stretch, if Jamal Williams entering age 28 kind of falls off, if Kamara falls off, I think you could see it. And the one thing that has me really worried about Kamara too that we didn't mention, like David Johnson and Mark Ingram were running routes ahead of Alvin Kamara last year. It was so weird, right? Like why they turned one of the best pass-catching backs the last five years into a two-down grinder, I don't understand it. But it is notable with this coaching staff that it happened. So I think you could definitely see a scenario where Kendra Miller can emerge down the stretch. A lot of people loved his college tape. I know Mike was big on him in the pre-draft process too. So I like Miller. I think he's a decent kind of like RB4, RB5 pick where you're like, I don't need you right now. But maybe in November he comes on and you hope good things happen. So I kind of like that take. That's kind of the fun thing about best ball is... You can look at certain players and, you know, like Samaj P. Ryan's going to be a player like, oh, I can count on him at the beginning of the year. Uh, Kendry Miller, like, right. I hope that he's a thing at the end of the year, wh- whatever it is. Uh, same thing with Zach Charbonnet, you know, those kind of players like, okay, I hope that there's a spot at some point in the season. The next backfield, we're going to talk about Betts' Eagles, fly, Eagles, fly. And I cheated a little bit because my cutoff point was 80 or further in overall ADP, but DeAndre Swift's right there at 78.5. DeAndre Swift's at 78.5. Rashad Penny is at 112, and Kenny G, Kenneth Gainwell, is at 167. Playoff Kenny, dude, he was pretty pretty awesome for y'all in the playoffs, right? Yeah, dude. They used him a bunch more. His, his snap rate went up, too. He was 37%, 42%, then 51% in the Super Bowl. So when it, when it mattered most, they trusted uh, Kenny G. But I guess I will say with a caveat, the game against the Giants wasn't really a game, and then no, that was the not. Brock Purdy situation made that, made that not a game. So maybe those stats are a little bit misleading. But hey, we're in part of the season where I can cherry pick whatever stat I want, and we can talk about it that way. So there you go. That's your stat for the day. I mean, that's basically what our jobs are, is to present people statistics that we can't give the full picture to. It's it's so funny whenever I tweet out something like that just says, like, okay, here's this guy's yards per route run. Here's how he did against, you know, man coverage. And like, oh, you obviously didn't include zone coverage. It's like, do you want me to include every single stat possible for every single player? Like, it's just... Yes, you, we do, Kyle. It's like, you can't give the full context in a tweet. That is the goal of the tweet. But yes, I will I will give more. I, 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 I will try to. This backfield is tough. And the ballers have made a pretty strong stance that I'm not sure I agree with totally. But I obviously respect my my bosses, my colleagues. Where Please don't fire us. <laughs> DeAndre Swift is just buried <laughs> in the ranks, and I see questions all the time. Do they just hate DeAndre Swift? Because in the UDK, he is ranked as RB39, which is just way down there. He's RB23 on underdog. So in our rankings, we're a lot lower too on Swift, but not nearly that far. So what is your read on this offense as somebody who is nothing but a homer? can't spot the lie on that one um <laughs> i so my take overall is like the Donder swift conversation is not about talent i think he is 
probably the best overall kind of well-rounded athlete in the backfield. Doesn't mean he's the best runner, but I think he is dynamic in space. And I absolutely think that's part of his game that has been there. When you look at his efficiency as a receiver, he's been sixth, 18th and sixth in yards per out run among qualified running backs each year of his pro career. And that's been with injury dealing through injuries as the entire season goes on. But at the same time, this Eagles backfield historically with Jalen Hurts doesn't use a receiving back enough for it to really matter, in my opinion, right? Like last year, he was uh, dead last. The Eagles were dead last as a team in targets, uh, target share to the running back position. Uh, Jalen Hurts had the lowest check down rate of any starting quarterback in the NFL last year. And when you have the big three of A.J. Brown and uh, Devonta Smith and Dallas Goddard as your top three target earners, there's not a lot to go around, especially when you consider that the team is going to play Kenneth Gamewell, right? It's not like Kenneth Gamewell isn't going to be out there. He certainly will. And so I see a really tough path for Swift to bury me this year. He has to earn the goal line role and he has to be involved as a receiver to do that. And historically, the running back for <laughs> for the Eagles has been Jalen Hurts. And with the tush push still a thing this year, they've jokingly been open about it. Like we're going to keep doing it until teams stop us. And I truly believe that Jalen Hurts was second in the NFL in carries inside the 10 yard line, not just among quarterbacks among, in the NFL. Like that's how they use him. So I see a really tough path for DeAndre Swift this year at his price, which is why we're behind market. I truthfully have taken him like once or twice all year. And it's a scary fade because of how good he's been efficiency wise, but it's tough for me uh, to buy into a guy at that price. Yeah. It, just to be clear, Betts isn't saying anything about his talent. He made sure he talked about that beforehand. But you just have to look at paths for players and say, okay, are there ways where this player just can't hit a ceiling or can't hit what he needs to do to pay off at RB23? He mentioned it about Jalen Hurts, and I'll throw in another stat here because it's fun. He had 43 red zone carries last year. That's the most ever by a quarterback since they started tracking the stat in 1994. So we're probably not going to say it's going to repeat that. 13 rushing touchdowns for Hurts, I would bet against that, but... 8 to 10 feels like very much on the table in the in the realm of possibility. So that feels really tough. Rashad Penny, efficiency and short time spans. So he's kind of a player that I will always bet against efficiency and I'll always bet against a player who just historically can't stay on the field and hasn't had a ton of carries inside the 10, even though he's a bigger body guy. So that leaves us with Kenny G., who is the cheapest. And that can kind of be a cop-out in these situations. Like, oh, I'll just take whatever the cheapest guy is. But they've also been some talk, including an article today from The Athletic that just says, hey, he might be more involved than what you think. And since 2021, Betts dug up the stat. He's number two in EPA per rush behind only Jalen Hurts on this team. So it's like, he's an efficient back. He's coming to year three. He's seen almost 50% of the targets of the running back targets. So he's somebody that I have taken a stance. It's not been super firm, but like I've been drafting more and more Kenny G. I just took him on a weekly winners team. And so he's going to be the one that's the cheapest. And I think he has the best path to at least be involved all throughout the year. I think that's a good way to put it is I don't think uh, the real Kenny G here. I don't think he can truly be one of those guys that is just a massive, massive difference maker. I don't see that in his range of outcomes, but can he be the usable weeks sort of guy? I think that's definitely possible. And honestly, I'm not sure there's that much of a difference in terms of the archetype and outlook for how they might be using this offense between he and DeAndre Swift. And I, I know 
That sounds crazy. That might sound like a hot take. But when you look at the financial commitment to DeAndre Swift, it's basically nothing. In terms of the trade they gave up to get him, they signed Rashad Penny to basically nothing. Like he's making 600K guaranteed this year. And Boston Scott, again, is is annoying for fantasy, but he plays on special teams. So he is going to be active on game days. And I don't know if they're going to carry four running backs, right, every week. Like I think there's a possibility that one of these guys kind of rotates in and out of the lineup as just an active guy. So these guys feel like such awkward picks because the Eagles O-line is ranked number one per PFF. They're great. Jalen Hurts is going to score goal line rolls, but they don't goal line touchdowns, but they don't throw to the running backs, right? So it's like you see the path because of what Miles Sanders did, but he was obviously the dude. So this is a backfield I'm trying to monitor very closely in training camp and seeing like, is there a consistent drum beat? Like Rashad Penny is the RB1. Is there a consistent drum beat? DeAndre Swift is the RB1. And if that doesn't happen, I will probably be hands off those two guys and just take a couple shares of Kenny G later just because the price is much better. One more follow-up question about the Eagles. And I feel like you have a good sobering take on this, but is it possible that nobody on this team, maybe like one, one person, actually is like valuable in best ball this year? Like they're so expensive, especially the top three, you know, options. Hertz, AJ Brown, Devonta Smith. And and I'm fine with Goddard where he goes, you know, like I, I I'm fine with that. But in terms of like difference making and beating their ADP, this team might be awesome. This team might win the Super Bowl. And there's a real shot too that this team is overvalued in best ball. I think they are, which is which is wild to say. Um uh, specifically like with just how expensive AJ Brown, Devonta Smith and Jalen Hurts are. I love Devonta Smith. It's he's a really tough click for me right now as like a back of round 2 guy and and you know AJ Brown could have an injury in week 2 and then it's all of a sudden like Devonta Smith's going to crush or something, right? I don't know. That might that might be possible, but they do feel like one of those teams where they're just so expensive you're paying such a tax on them. And because of wide receivers and quarterbacks being pushed up, they've got incredible wide receivers and a quarterback. So I could see them being pieces that are part of like winning teams because you're getting spike weeks and you're getting all that. But I would not be shocked if they're when we look back at the end of the year and Eagles aren't part of these like, you know, top ten win rate type guys. I I wouldn't be shocked about that just because they're so expensive. So they have to do so much to pay it off this year. And and obviously we talked about some of the concerns with the running backs. Yeah, that's just the game theory part that is super fun about best ball. It's it's also, I can say like, hey, we're going to be playing a ton of Eagles in DFS. And in best ball, I've kind of cooled in my exposures because they're so expensive. Let's talk about one more ambiguous backfield. It's the Bears. Khalil Herbert is going 120th off the board. Roshan Johnson, their fourth round rookie out of Texas, 150th. And Donta Foreman, 166th. This is gross. Like, this is a really gross backfield where you should add another running back, their RB1, to this mix in Justin Fields. So then you're asking yourself another situation near the goal line and overall rushing touchdowns is going to be clipped by Justin Fields. What is your outlook on this backfield and how it functions and how are you attacking it? Yeah, this to me feels like uh, Eagles light for the most part. Like, I think Justin Fields is an incredible runner. There's no question about that in comparison to Jalen Hurts or anything. But I think the situation for the Eagles guys is better. Better offensive line. The betting markets, they're more likely to win games. They're more likely to score points. Like That's better for the Philly backfield. Chicago's backfield feels like the exact same situation, but just scary because of the fact that 
they're only favored in six games this year. So there's a lot of projection happening that they might not be favored in a ton of games. They might not get the benefit of second half positive game scripts the way maybe the Eagles guys will. And that could be wrong. You know, don't get me wrong. Things change across the NFL season. But right now, that's how it looks. And the same argument, right, for guys like, uh, you know, Jalen Hurts and, and Justin Fields is that they don't really check down a lot. And when rushing quarterbacks take off and scramble or they design uh, design runs, it helps the running game efficiency, but it takes away opportunities for their backs, whether it's as ball carriers or in the receiving game for targets. So I feel very lukewarm on these guys, and I feel totally fine to say I don't know who it is, and I'm okay with that, and to take a stance that like I don't see these guys being true league winners personally. Early on, I was kind of into Roshan Johnson because I think part of it was my dynasty mindset where we were talking about rookies and talking about, well, he was really talented on tape, but we don't know what he is because he played behind Bijan Robinson at Texas. But let's let's back up a little bit and remember he's still a fourth round rookie, right? And the hit rate on those guys is so, so low. Since 20, uh, 2010, there have been four rookies drafted in round four who have averaged 10 plus PPR points per game. Those have been Damian Pierce, Michael Carter, Roy Hallou, and Naheem Hines. So if he becomes a real difference maker for fantasy, he'll be an outlier. And in general, I, I bet against those guys. So I feel kind of out on him. And I feel kind of like, you know, if, if these, if Khalil Herbert's there and Devon, Donta Foreman are there and I need a running back fine, but I'm not going out and targeting them by any means. Yeah. Roshan feels like an easy fade for me. You mentioned the draft capital and you meant the guys you did mention that, that hit were all pass catching dudes. Like, you know, in terms of especially Halu. Hines, Michael Carter, and then Damian Pierce, who was steamed up. But it's like Roshan and Justin Fields is Justin Fields is not a guy that's going to check down as much. Historically, rushing quarterbacks don't do that nearly as much. Foreman's interesting to me because we've seen spike games from him where teams just ride him. And I think that's that's intriguing to me. Um, so I've taken Foreman the most out of these. Herbert feels like a player I never want to take because I never want to take running backs in that spot. Like it's Herbert, it's Elijah Mitchell. It's just a bunch of players that I feel like you can build out a roster that way if you want to. But the way that my teams are looking, like usually there's a tight end in that range. Like you can get Chig in that range. You can get Dulcich in that range, which I think have a ton of upside. There's wide receivers I like too in that same range. So they're just in a spot where it's like, I'm not going to end up with Damian Harris, Devon A-Chain, Khalil Herbert, Elijah Mitchell. It's just guys that I don't really want. So based on my builds, I haven't really gone there. I think a lot of people like Herbert Brooks, one of our producers, it's like his favorite player in the league because we've seen spike games when Montgomery was out. This team is not committed to him though. Like they're, they're not saying he's the dude and we want him to be the dude. If you see that from week one, I'm going to take a L, but he's one of those players that I'm just, it would shock me if he saw 20 plus touches a game, like really shock me. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's it's difficult, right? Because he's been so efficient. And when he has oppor- had the opportunity, like you said, he's been pretty good. So I think Khalil Herbert is probably going to enter camp as the RB1. And I think the plan is going to be to see if he can do it. And they're going to give him the shot. And if he can't, it wouldn't be surprising to see Dante Foreman kind of mix in and then maybe Roshan Johnson a little bit too. So I think Khalil Herbert's a fine pick in the outcomes where he does hold on to the job and he is the dude all year. But he feels like a guy that has the potential to be a good week one pick. And then like by week 10 or week 12, you're like, 
Khalil Herbert's not doing anything for me, man. Like he's now he's the RB three on the depth chart, right? So he feels like a very uh, scary investment for best ball where we want to be betting on archetypes that hit later in the year. He feels like the exact opposite to me. All right, let's talk about two more situations. Let's mention, and Betts can give some medical updates on the Jets and the Broncos backfield. Brees Hall right now is at RB11. You and I are basically right at ADP, 31st overall, just right there. My exposure, I've been a little bit overweight. I'm at 15% with him. And I love Brees because you saw big plays in the passing game as a rookie. And I hope the Jets start doing more three wide receiver sets against light boxes last year, six or fewer defenders. He was number one in yards per carry, number two in rush success rate, and number three in expected points per rush. But we only got to see 99 total touches from him before he got injured. So in your opinion, are you fine with Hall at ADP? Yeah, this is a, I think, different conversation for managed leagues versus best ball. Again, best ball where we are kind of just getting through weeks one through six, weeks one through eight, whatever. And then you really want your team to be peaking when it matters most down the stretch, especially as you look towards the playoffs. And that's when I think Brees Hall is going to be uh, at his best from a health perspective and everything in his profile from his, you know, um, athletic measurables to the draft capital to how he performed in a small sample, albeit all says this guy is going to be a star. He looks incredible. He looks great. So if he can get back to health and be the same guy from week 10 on, I think Brees Hall can be awesome. The scary investment is, is this a Dalvin Cook landing spot? And we've talked about concerns with Dalvin, but that would still potentially hold back some volume, I think, for for Brees Hall. So that's why I'm kind of right at ADP. Like, I don't have a strong stance of, like, he's a good or bad pick. I see the massive upside case. But I will say, the Jets are on hard knocks. (laughs) And if Dalvin doesn't go there, be ready for this ADP to skyrocket when we start to get these positive camp reports on his health. So I think now is the time to get some Brees Hall if you haven't already with those two factors in mind. Um, because, like I said, if he does go up in price, I, he's a guy that I think is fairly priced right now for the upside. But if he was going to be a mid-round, second-round pick or a back-end-of-round-two pick, I'd probably be out there. There's also no one on this depth chart that I'm scared of at all. Michael Carter is... I bet against that guy for a couple years straight. Really easy to bet against now. Abanacanda is a fun 18th round flyer pick, but and then Bam Knight might not even make the roster. So it's like one of those things where I'm just not scared about anyone else other than if Dalvin shows up, it just more eats into his overall upside. Uh, But Brees Hall is awesome. What about Denver? Because we're getting positive reports about Javante based on what's tweeted out there. Samaj P. Ryan at RB35 has been a player that's like, okay, we've been a little bit ahead of ADP. You know you can build in some beginning of the year stuff. But Javante, if you're going to keep getting these reports, you know he's going to be steamed up. So are you taking the stance where it's like, if P. Ryan's going to drop, I'm just going to keep scooping up those shares? I think I am. And it's not that I think the reports are bad for Javante. Like, they've all been positive. But let's not forget, they always are, right? So... Um, that happens every year and every year fantasy players, best ball drafters fall for whatever it is, whether it's, Oh, he's not starting out on pup or, Oh, he doesn't have a knee brace on or whatever. Like people will cling on to the positive stuff every single time. So I just want to be mindful that we need to pump the brakes a little bit and actually see how he's looking as the year goes on. But it was a very serious knee injury, multiple ligaments involved. And these typically are going to result in a very slow start of the year. And a lot of these guys don't hit their peak production until not 
not even late in the year, like the following season. So if Javante Williams does become a guy who creeps up into the 80s, into the 70s as we get into mid-August, that feels like a very somewhat easy fade, in my opinion. That's kind of how I'd be viewing it. That said, Javante is talented. I think there's a possibility that some of that inefficiency could be masked by how much they will be used in the receiving game, which I do feel pretty good about that. So I think it's okay, but that's where I see Samaj P. Ryan's value anyway. And so if his value is going to get better in terms of his draft cost, then I certainly would be, I think, potentially holding out right now and saying, like, maybe I pass on Samaj for the next, you know, two weeks or something. But when we start to get the Javante to go up and P. Ryan come down, maybe that's when I go back into buying into Samaj as a, a pretty good, you know, kind of like right around pick 100, 110 range uh, selection. I think he's totally fine where he goes, and I have a decent amount of him this year. Yeah, we've been on the same page in this offense to be ahead of market on P. Ryan, and then we've been below market the entire time on Javante. Javante is going 90th overall, RB29. I have him at 33. You have him at 37. And let's say he gets steamed up to 26, 27. We're still going to be behind market. So that's kind of our stance. Also, keep in mind, Sean Payton offenses in New Orleans historically had multiple running backs. Let's say Javante does come back and, you know, week six, seven, eight, back half of the year. Samaj is still going to be involved and they've always had multiple players. So keep that in mind. Last situation we're going to talk about is the Baltimore wide receivers because I can't not talk about Baltimore. I have to. It's, it's, I'm under contract. I'm obligated on a best ball show, on any show, to talk about Baltimore. Rashad Bateman's going as RB45 at 88th overall. Right after him is the rookie Zay Flowers, RB or wide receiver 46, 90th. And then Odell Beckham is a little bit further, hangs out in draft, wide receiver 53. And I need to say off the front end, I have the most Beckham of these three, but only because he just sits there. And so I've been taking the stance that I want a Baltimore player on almost every single best ball roster. That's why I have so much Isaiah Likely. It's like, I want to get in somebody here for just the insane upside that I think this offense possesses. And Likely, I think he possesses it if Andrews went down. So that's kind of conditional there. But let me give you some numbers with this. Those wide receivers I mentioned, 45, 46, 53, those are the lowest wide receiver one. Whoever of those three you think is the wide receiver one, lowest ADPs of a top five ADP quarterback over the last five years. Okay, so normally you're drafting a quarterback in the top five because they support awesome weapons. Lamar runs, so I get if people are like, oh, okay, this, this is why they're so low. But over the last five years, top five quarterbacks, have supported on average at least 1.6 top 36 options. So the bet is on average one, at least one, but maybe two of these guys end up in the top 36, which would be awesome for your advance rates. If you got one of these guys to be in the top 36 or two of them. So all of that to say, I'm investing in Baltimore wide receivers and I'm ahead of the market on all of them. <laughs> what could go wrong, right, Kyle? Just curious, in that sample where you talked about the quarterbacks being drafted top five, supporting the, the top wide receivers, are those offenses uh, grouped out by like at all by if the tight end is so heavily involved the way Mark Andrews is? No, I'm just I'm literally just looking at it as top 36 wide receiver, just wide receivers only. So no tight ends in that sample size at all. So in this situation, I think we would say it's probably closer to just one of them when you think of Mark Andrews being in the mix, I mean, Baltimore Titans saw 44% of the targets last year. That's not, they're not going to repeat 44% this year. Todd Monken's 
offenses have always been more wide receiver heavy. So, but like 35%, 30%, you know, 30 plus percent seems like it. Andrew's target share was 28%. I think that could drop to 25 this year, but maybe more efficient targets. But I think one of these wide receivers is a really safe bet to be top 36. The key is figuring out which one. (laughs) That's why I'm taking shots at all of them. Yeah. Hey, fair enough. I get that approach. And I think that's a totally fine approach, truthfully, because we don't know. But I think when you look at these situations, I was was pretty in on Rashad Bateman as being the best pick early on. And then we had the report about the the foot issue lingering and the cortisone injection. And then I took a step back over the last couple of weeks and I kind of thought about it. And I thought to myself, like, if you look at, at what's happened since Rashad Bateman has been in the NFL, you know, kind of had the slower start, came out on fire last year, but the foot injury let them down. Then there was kind of the off season of like, he had this back and forth on Twitter with the GM, like that just, you just don't do that. Right. Then they go out and they sign Odell to a ridiculous contract. Now he's dealing with the foot issue again, and they draft safe flowers in round one. So I had been on team Rashad Bateman, and I still think that's it's possible that he emerges as the dude, but I have opened my mind to see, hey, I can see a scenario where Bateman slowly is starting to lose out if Odell can stay healthy and if Odell can perform and if Zay Flowers can emerge. And I don't think Isaiah Likely is going away. Like You mentioned that they are going to be more wide receiver heavy, and I agree with that. But if Mark Andrews stay healthy, and all those things start to happen, I can see the path where Rashad Bateman feels like a trap. And, and and that's not how I felt a month ago or two months ago. So I just want to point that out, that I've kind of started to take the approach of Kyle and say, this is how much Rashad Bateman I have. I want to bump up my Zay Flowers exposure right now because I want to make sure I'm not overweight that position because I think it can be very, very valuable if one of these guys does hit. And so that's why we're both mixing in all three of these guys. So I need to get your thoughts, though, on Beckham because I think... Season-long stuff, the sharp play is just to take whatever under there is on Beckham to bet against it. In best ball, he's so cheap. Like wide receiver 53, I like his price, I like the offense, and I think it's a lower chance for him to be the wide receiver one than Bateman or Flowers, but there's a chance, right? Like let's put Beckham at like 25%, okay? It's, It's much lower than those other dudes, but like, I think he's still in the mix. Or are you just saying like, dude is dust. I'm not touching him at all. So it's a different conversation, right? Because there's no question that Odell's not the same player he was when we, when we knew him as Odell, right? Like that clearly is not going to happen. But from a health perspective, like I don't really have that much worry about him as far as his ACL recovery. It's been, you know, basically a year and a half. And this is kind of like would be his year two off the ACL. That said, he didn't play a down of football last year, right? So it's like, we're worried about Calvin Ridley. We're worried about these guys. Like Odell didn't play football last year, and that is a massive concern. So I see the upside and downside case for sure. I think he is a much better, like how he wins, I think he's a much better bet to have an outlier touchdown. Like he catches eight touchdowns this year. Like that's great on underdog. I feel very strongly on DraftKings. He's not going to be a guy that comes out and can bury me with receptions and yards. So he's an archetype that I have faded on DraftKings and I've been okay with over on underdog. Um, if that makes sense. I feel like that's kind of a nuanced way to think about it, but that's where I'm at. <laughs> I, I've just taken a stance because I mentioned this spot a couple weeks ago. Like there's just a terrible run of wide receivers that I just have such low exposure to after those first two Baltimore wide receivers. So because Bateman, Zay Flowers, all right, bets. Just just hear this list of wide receivers that go after them. Michael Thomas, Cortland Sutton, 
Jamison Williams suspended six games. Tyler Boyd, Sky Moore, Alan Lazard. Then you get to Odo Beckham. Like, I, I have very little exposure to any of those dudes at all. And then I'm able to get a player that hangs around a lot as a wide receiver five for my roster because I've already locked up four of them before pick 100. So I just think Beckham, there's a lot of downside. I get it. But I also think the opportunity cost is great in an offense that we're buying into in so many different places that I just love his opportunity cost. So I could be, you know, it could be terrible at the end of the year, but I, I like I like Beckham. And just to quote you earlier, I believe you said that I'm just taking Kyle's approach. Is was that is that is that the exact words you gave? Check the tape. But yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing that a lot in a lot of places. All right. I want to list just a couple of uncertainties real quick, like just fire them off because Betts and I came up with a, ju- a massive list and we wanted to make sure we hit the running back backfields the most. But here's a couple more for me. I, I have no idea. So some of my other uncertainties this year, are there any valuable wide receivers in Carolina and Houston with a rookie quarterback? I don't know. Like you, you could take a stance, but I don't know. Is there a late great quarterback for 2023 with rushing upside? Like normally we'd be targeting that last year was Justin Fields for me, but it's like other than Daniel Jones, who's going at 113, which I don't know if that's super late. Is it Russ? Is it Kyler if he returns? Is it Sam Howell? Like I don't even know if there's a dude. You mentioned the rushing upside. It's it's not Russ. <laughs> that's for sure. I just got to throw where, it what do you where are you at with Anthony Richardson because we talked about him like early in the process like his the steam after the NFL draft was crazy but I've kind of been back in on, on Anthony Richardson he's fallen a little bit and now there's like a little bit of Gardner Minshew buzz like maybe he enters training campus QB1 if that happens and, and this is where like you want to take your stances I'd be willing to fade that narrative based off historical usage the trends with quarterbacks taking top five like they play in the NFL in year one and so if his price does keep falling a little, I kind of want to be in on Anthony Richardson as as a potential guy who could do it. I've been at market where I'm not actively targeting him, but if he falls, and he has fallen more than I thought. Like I thought we were getting a Trey yeah, Lance. that's what I mean. I thought we were getting a Trey Lance situation where he's going to be QB eight or nine. So it's tough stacking him, man. Because like, let's say you don't get Pity City. And which, I mean, apologies to the people. Imagine mentioning him and not playing that song. If you're not getting Pity City, who are you stacking with? We just destroyed Josh Downs earlier. Like, (laughs) are you even caring about stacking this guy? I mean, I I think Alec Pierce would be fine. Like, I don't feel great about that. But, like, in in terms of upside, I think you do want to stack. Although, I could see a case where you have great game stacks built around these other situations, and then all of a sudden, Anthony Richardson's there. You don't have a stack yet, but you're drafting him not to be a prolific passer. You are drafting him to run like crazy. And if he does, he might be a guy where it doesn't as matter like matter as much about the stack. So I think as long as you have some good team stacks and game stacks on your roster, I actually kind of would be okay. And, and I want to stack him, but I would be okay if I didn't have to with Anthony Richardson. Yeah, they're, they're down the stretch schedule. Week 15 is against Pittsburgh. Week 16 is at Atlanta, and then week 17, all important stuff, is against the Raiders. So, yeah, he could be Ooh, one of those... That's pl- juicy. I know. He could be one of those players that you look at and go, oh, man, I, I I, feel like I I should have been more overweight on him, but I'm just at market right now. 
I haven't been taking him as a quarterback one. I can say that. Like I, I, I get if you do that, you probably need a three quarterback build. I wish I could just draft Shane Steichen. I like trust him. <laughs> I, I like him. I just don't know if I'm going to get the high end. I mean, how many passing touchdowns is Anthony Richards going to get this year? 20? 18? I forget what his. I was looking at that the other day on uh, on DK. I think his line was like, don't quote me on this, but it was like 18 and a half or 19 and a half or something. And his passing yardage has been like, like 2,600 and a half or something along those lines. So they're not expecting that. But man, like if he runs, if he can give you games where he develops into what Justin Fields could do, and Fields is on a historic pace, don't get me wrong. But like if he can do 80% of that, I think he's a good pick. We were looking at him in the AFC South preview on the main show. And I was given the stat of like anybody that surpasses 80 rush attempts as a rookie ends up being top 10 in points per game. But I care about spike games in. So I, it's almost like I'm willing to look at Anthony Richardson in redraft leagues this year. And I'm willing to wait in dynasty, but in best ball, I'm probably a little too passive right now where I should make a hard stance on him while the, while he's cooled off. So, you know, maybe this podcast was the format for me to kind of come around to Anthony Richardson, go a little bit more overboard because in best ball mania, you're drafting against people that were taking him as like what the QB eight early on, like right after the draft, it was like, Oh, you got to go. This is this year's Trey Lance. And now it's like QB 11, you know, dropping to, you know, way past pick 100. It's like, okay, I, I can do that. So, that's why it's fun. It's the summer of best ball. It's a, it's a fun summer to talk through everything. But that'll do it for this episode. Bets and I will be putting out content all the time on our website if you want to go to thefantasyfootballers.com. Bets, sign us off. Yes, sir. Fun episode. It's always fun to talk through this stuff and just see where we could be wrong <laughs> this year, and we will be. But training camps are here very soon to help us figure it out. So have fun drafting. Make sure you're tuned in to what's happening in training camp. We'll be back next week. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fantasy Footballers DFS and Betting Podcast. Don't forget to visit us on the web at thefantasyfootballers.com.